Good morning, church. How are we doing this fine morning? I'm really happy. I haven't really seen too much snow yet. That's a good thing. Not a bad thing. That's a great thing, actually. It's good to be here together, worshiping. Got to see my daughter last weekend. That was always, it's always awesome to do that. But I missed being here, and I'm glad to be here today. All right, let me, uh, let me uh, show you something, and uh, you know, you tell me uh, what you think uh, this is right here. Anybody know what this is? It's a banana that's duct taped. Why is the good question? Yes. And that's not a fake banana, that's a real banana. And you want to know something about, anybody know about this banana? Yeah. This banana duct taped to this thing was just sold for $120,000. Let me read you the article. A banana duct taped to a wall sold for $120,000 at Miami's Art Basel this week. It may be the most talked about artwork of this year's event. Two, catch this, two of the three editions have been sold for $120,000. So not just one, two bananas. I think the art world has gone bananas, right? <laughs> Two of the three editions have been sold, according to Periton, the contemporary art gallery behind the work. And the last one, there's one more, is expected to sell for over $150,000. How many of you would like to have been able to make this wonderful piece of art? The controversial piece is called The Comedian. <laughs> it was created, unfortunately, by an Italian artist <laughs> by the name of Maurizio Catalan, who had also entertained art lovers from around the globe in 2017 with his 18-carat gold toilet throne. However, this $6 million throne was stolen from England's palace over the summer. So somebody stole the $6 million gold toilet. Oh, no, it wasn't just the seat. It was the whole thing, just so you know. Hey, for $6 million, you've got to get the whole thing. Emmanuel Perrotin, the uh, gallery founder, told CBS News that Maurizio's work is not just about objects, but about how objects move through the world. Are you catching this? So what he is selling is not just the banana on the wall, but the fact that somebody would actually pay 120000 for that banana yeah. and take it and put it up in their wall. 
And then he says this, whether affixed to the wall of an art fair booth or displayed on the cover of the New York Post, his work forces us to question how value is placed on material goods, he said. I don't know about you, but I don't like it. It's not very appealing. <laughs> I know, right? I, I, I debated whether to say that or not, you know, and the bad surgery won, so sorry about that. But here's the question. What is happening to our values? That we're willing to pay $120,000 for this. What is happening to our value system that we're willing to, to mix up and confuse what values really truly are? Have you noticed that something is going terribly wrong with humanity's value system? Have you noticed this? Is it just me? I mean, I just think, I feel like it's just happening over, over and over the past few years. I cannot help but notice the banana hanging on people's walls. It's amazing to me, values that are on that wall, decomposing, deteriorating, and going bad. And the suggestion is, if it goes bad, just replace the banana. And that's what we've been doing. We've been replacing these values with fresher bananas, and they decompose and they deteriorate because they are just bananas. But we call them values these days. But we should not be surprised. The Bible says, and know this, in the last days, and in case you're wondering whether we are in the last days, read this carefully. This was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy during the time when the Roman Empire was in charge. And yet, Paul says there's going to be a worse time coming than the Roman Empire. And this is how he describes it. He says, and know this, that in the last days, times will be hard. You see, the world will be filled with narcissists. Money-grubbing. Pretentious, arrogant, and abusive people. They will rebel against their parents and will be ungrateful, unholy, uncaring, cold-hearted, accusing without restraint, savage, and haters of anything good. Expect them to be treacherous, reckless, swollen with self-importance, and given to loving pleasures more than they love God. Even though they may look or act like godly people, they're not. They deny his power. I tell you, stay away from the likes of these. Notice the list. Our values, what we value, is demonstrated by the way we use our resources. Our values is demonstrated by the way we use our time. Our values 
are demonstrated by the way our attitudes are both in public and in private. Our values are demonstrated by what we are devoted to. And I am sensing more and more every day a deterioration of our values. And so that we are less and less able to, to, to redirect our resources, our time, our attitudes, and our devotion towards that which is holy and right and good. Some years ago, our leadership team went through and prayed long and hard about values and the purpose of our church. We called it our big why. You've seen this poster around. Have you seen this poster around? It's been hanging out for over a year now. By now, you should have it all memorized. These are the values that we decided will will, will uh, direct our ministry. These are the values that we decided that we're going to be like, this is who we are. This is how we are going to be known by. This is what people will know. This is, this is the Richland Church. And then on the bottom is our big why. Have you noticed that? By now, everybody in here should have this big why memorized. In fact, I'm thinking over the next seven weeks as we go through this series, I may just kind of spot test you. What do you think? I'm just going to come up to you and say, hey, come on. Why do we do what we do? And see if you know it. Because everybody in this room should know it. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Since then, and, and I am so proud of our leaders, uh, I'm debating how transparent I want to be here, but uh, in the past year, I've had offers to go in other places and do other things, but I am so proud of our leaders in this church that I cannot. I love what we are doing here. And our leaders for the past year have untiringly asked themselves this question, why do we do what we do? They hated me when I first started asking this question. They probably still don't like me now when I started asking this. What are the values that drive how we do what we do? In the Tri-Cities alone, there are 200 Christian denominations. That's like one for every hundred people. I mean, think about that for a second. What distinguishes us from other churches? Why should we even be here? I mean, do, does, does God really need another church? I mean, you know, think about what I'm asking you here. And what I'm really asking you is, why are you here? Why are we here? If we disappeared, who would miss us? Me. 
How can we become more than just another church? These next seven weeks are going to be about how do we become a cause? How do we become a movement? Are you in? One of the things that we have realized, and this is so important, is that we have the awesome privilege to be a beacon in our community of what it looks like to exemplify value-driven lives, value-driven ministries. We, we realize that, that there are two ways that we can be. We can either be reactive or we can be proactive. Reactive means, you know, you slap me, I slap you back. And then I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. Proactive says I'm going to decide what our values are, what we value, and then I'm going to do everything I can to live by those values no matter what. And so I'm just going to live by those values, and, and we're, our church is going to move by those values, and that's what we're going to be, and that's what we're going to do, and we are deciding to be proactive. We are deciding to make sure that we do things God's way. Now, this list is not exhaustive. This is not the only list. Sure, we have other values, but for now... Today, we're saying these seven values are the values that we most, we definitely are non-negotiable for us. Now, I read this, uh, we were talking about Tesla this morning in our Sabbath school class. I read this, the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board revealed the faulty software and human error were to blame for a recent accident involving Tesla's, Tesla's autopilot. There were actually, people were taking videos of people falling asleep on the wheel of a Tesla. And it's not supposed to be that way. According to the report, the Tesla's driver was operating his Model SP85 with the vehicle's driver assistance feature turned on. In other words, the car was an autopilot. Data obtained from the NTSB shows that driver's hands hadn't been on the steering wheel for about 13 minutes before the vehicle collided into a parked fire truck, no less. I mean, if you're going to smash into a truck, why not a fire truck, right? The sad thing is that I, I believe that if we don't adopt the values, if we don't understand our why, then we're going to be like so many other churches that really just kind of do church on autopilot. You need to come to church and ask yourself, why am I really here? Why am I part of this congregation? I want to tell you something. I am so passionate about this. And here's what I know. Here's what I know. This is going to sound terrible to some of you guys, but just just listen to me for a second. Don't judge me, okay? But there is a lot of churches out there that are running on autopilot. And if that's what you want to do, you should go there. This church is going to be doing church proactively and on purpose. This, if you want that, if that excites you, then you're in the right place. 
and we're glad you're here. But wouldn't, wouldn't that be so much better than just doing church on autopilot? Church on autopilot is not church. Church on autopilot ultimately will crash into a fire truck. Are you following what I'm saying here? So, please, don't misunderstand me. I am glad you are here, but I want you to be here on purpose. I want you to be here intentionally. I want you to be here because you're excited about a church that is moving forward with values and mission and vision. And this is why, by the way, we do this thing every year. We have this thing called mapping the course. Can I be honest with you? Less than a quarter of those who attend our church come to mapping the course. Makes me wonder, is it possible that three quarters of our church is just on autopilot and they're okay with that? Some of you are sitting there going, man, I wish he would have taken that call. <laughs> Listen. I believe that God is in the business of doing things on purpose. I love this quote by uh, Andy Stanley, and it goes like this. Everybody ends up somewhere in life. A few people end up somewhere on purpose. And then here's one from Jim Rohn. I love this one. The same wind blows on us all. And by the way, if you're not noticing that the wind is blowing these days, it is. The winds of disaster, the winds of opportunity and change. Therefore, it is not the blowing of the wind, but the setting of the sails that will determine our direction in life. So we could just Sail on autopilot and just let that sail just go, you know. Or we can set the sail and say this is where we want to go as a church. That's what these next seven weeks are all about. It's, it's about learning what these values are and how can we. And I want you to ask yourself every single time we come together like this, say, okay, how can I make this specific value? live out in my life. And here's another one. I love this one. I love, this is John Wooten, great basketball coach. Val, good values are like a magnet. They attract good people. I think that's why this church has got so many good people in it. Because it is a value-driven church. I love that. I love that about our church. Well, so we're going we're gonna to concentrate on this one here called mission-mindedness today. Doing everything with purpose. Jesus gathered this ragtag group of insecure, hopeless people. He called them his disciples. And he's talking to the disciples and their crowd. And they, these folks had no political leverage, no financial leverage, no relational leverage. They were just Jewish men and women. 
carpenters and fishermen and farmers and seamstresses. And they were at the brinks of losing all hope. And Jesus says to them, you are the hope of the world. If we want to look at our purpose from a, from a very gen- general perspective, as believers in the Tri-Cities, this is what Jesus is saying to us. We've looked at this before. He says, you are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that, you can, so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. And this becomes our purpose. Our purpose is to help people give honor to God. Our purpose is to live such a life, so purposeful, that people say, I want to be like that. You are, we are, this church is the light in Richland. Now, it doesn't mean that there are not other churches that are. That's fantastic. I'm glad they are. But we are going to be intentional about it. We're not going to be lights on autopilot. We're going to be lights on purpose. What do you think? On a planet steadily being eclipsed by lunacy and confusion, we have the opportunity to be the light of the world. In a world that is increasingly obscured by deceit, we are the light of the world. In a community where the shadow of loneliness and poverty longs for the glimmer of an illuminating community, we are that community. We are the hope of the world. We are the light of the world. That's what Jesus is saying to us. That's our purpose. It's as if he's saying, here's your purpose. This is why you are here. You're here to illuminate. Let your light shine. Through you, God will make known his love and purpose to those around you. Through you, the world's going to know what God is up to. That's why we're here. That's why you come to church. It's not for culture. It's not just to be here and sing some songs and listen to a sermon once in a while. You are here to make a difference for Christ. There's a story in the Old Testament Most of you are very familiar with this story. Let me read it to you kind of fast, and then we'll talk about it for a moment. In fact, let me go to it here so I can see it better. I'm not getting old. just blind. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I love this. Has God ever asked you this question? What are you doing here? I'm going to be totally honest with you. Many a times I've sat in church and I've heard God whisper this question to me. Sergio, what are you doing here? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death. And with the sword, I'm the only one left. Have you ever felt that way? And now they're trying to kill me too. This is the prophet. This is, this is somebody that just had a great victory with the prophets of Baal, and now he's like, coward. He's, he's just afraid. He's like, please, I'm here because I'm hiding. Because I am tired of being criticized. Oh, Elijah, what are you doing here? I, I'm trying to tell you. I'm tired of, of not being appreciated. Elijah, what are you doing here? I'm the only one left. I feel like I'm the only one left. Elijah, are you willing to give up what you know for what you don't know? What are you doing here? And then it goes like this. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After that, the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he put his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And the voice, the whisper said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I think some of us need to quiet the noise in our lives so we can hear the whisper. I think some of us are so addicted to the hustle and bustle of noise, to the clatter of media's constant messages, to the voices that are distorting and, and distracting our, us and become, helping us to become more and more insecure. And, and we don't get to hear the whisper of God anymore. But God is telling each and every one of us here right now, this moment, He had to ask him twice, what are you doing here? Why are you here? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord, O oh God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected you. He says it all over again. Torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And, and the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And then he tells them that there are 7,000 more that you don't know about. I love that. I love that. There's another story that I want to kind of take us to that's, that's in the New Testament. I love this story. It's found uh, in uh, Luke chapter 19, and it goes like this. Jesus was going through a city, 
through the city of Jericho. And a man was there named Zacchaeus. You remember this story, don't you? Some of you guys have sung about this story since you were little kids. And he was a very important tax collector and he was wealthy and he wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because he was, he was too short to see above the crowd. So he ran ahead to a place where Jesus would come and he climbed the sycamore tree. You remember the song, don't you? And so he could see him and when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, calls him by name. Hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. And then it says, Zacchaeus came down quickly, welcomed them gladly. And all the people saw that he's th this and began to complain. Oh no, Jesus is staying with sinners. See, we believe Jesus enriches your life beyond your imagination. And our purpose is to accept you like Jesus. And to serve you like Jesus. And to love you like Jesus. That's why we're here. And that's why Jesus was there. And they're sitting there going, well, what's he doing? He's going to be hanging out with sinners. Well, yes, of course he is. That's what he does. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And, I have and if I have cheated anyone, I will pay back four times more. That's why we say, come as you are. And leave inspired. By we mean by what we mean by leave inspired is leave with the Holy Spirit guiding your life. That's not up to us to change you, it's up to the Holy Spirit to do so. We're just glad you're here. You just come, bring your friends, bring your neighbors, no matter what they look like, what they smell like, we don't really care. Just come on over here. We'll make room for them. We need to be doing that more. Don't you think so? You know, making room. And Jesus said to him, salvation has come to this house today. Do not miss this point. Because this man also belongs to the family of Abraham. The son of man came to find lost people and save them. Did you catch that? What was Jesus' purpose? The Son of Man came to find lost people and save them. Now catch what's going on in this story. Zacchaeus, he was in the sycamore tree on purpose so that he could see Jesus, right? Jesus was at the bottom of the sycamore tree and called Zacchaeus by name on purpose because he is seeking Zacchaeus. Are you catching this? This is so important. When we on purpose seek Jesus, he will on purpose seek us. For Zacchaeus, it was the end of his search. For Jesus, it was the beginning. And for 2,000 years plus, Jesus has never changed his, pur his purpose. This was his mission statement. I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Hey, by the way, you are here today, 2,000 years later, to fulfill that same mission that Jesus started 2,000 years ago, to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why we're here. We're not here to just have fun and community. I mean, that's great. That's, I'm, all, I'm all for that. 
I love what we do, and I love our church. And yeah, we do love food, but more than anything else, we should be loving the food, the bread that comes from the heaven, the bread of life. And we should be, we, while we're feasting on this bread, we should be willing to share that with others. Don't you think so? Christmas is upon us. And if you want to know what Christmas is all about, it's all about this statement. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came as a little babe to be like one of us so that he could become the minister that he was. He came on this earth to be one of us so that we could become like one of him. He came to this earth and lived a sinless life so that we as sinners can be counted as if we lived a righteous life. Wow. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You're here to illuminate You are the salt of the earth. In a world that is becoming increasingly spoiled and rotten, you are salt. Just your presence, your influence can delay, can hold back the decay that is happening in this earth. Your presence in that building, on that campus, your presence on that team, your presence in that mechanic shop, in your workplace, your presence at Hanford, your presence in that meeting, your presence on the golf course, your presence on Facebook, your presence in the hospital, the presence in your family, your presence in your neighborhood, your presence in this country, this presence is the hope of the world. That's what Jesus says. And this is why we say, we believe that Jesus enriches our lives beyond imagination. Jesus will enrich your life beyond imagination. And our purpose is to accept like Jesus, serve like Jesus, and love like Jesus. Will you be willing to commit this to to, to memory? Otherwise, why are we here? I read a story about uh, Steve Jobs. He was a whiz at making computers, but there was a time when he needed this, some help in make, marketing this incredible magic box of his. And so uh, he decided to talk to a guy by the name of John Scully. And John Scully uh, was... Uh, the youngest president of Pepsi-Cola. And he's trying to talk John Scully into joining Apple. Pepsi was doing way better than Apple. And so they're talking through this, and, and 
John Scully is just, you know, he, he, he's content with his present and secure success. He's content with what he's doing. And so uh, at one point, Steve Jobs looks at him and, and it, it just summons up this courage to say this. And he says to him, and here's, in his desperation, he says, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water or do you want to change the world? Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water or do you want to change the world? Do you want to spend the rest of your life on autopilot or do you want to change the world? Do you want to spend the rest of your life just playing church or do you want to change the world? I don't know about you, but I'm here to change the world. Uh, within those that are, that, 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 that are within my sphere of influence, I, I'm serious. I am going to spot check you on this. But I don't want you to just memorize it. I want you to, to put it in your heart, write it in your heart. Make it commandment number 11. <laughs> I don't care what you do here, man. Listen, this is so important. We must not only memorize this, we must incorporate it. We must absorb it into our lives. We must say, okay, what, what does it mean when we say to people, Jesus enriches your life beyond imagination? Are we talking about money? Are we talking about something bigger than that? What are we talking about? I mean, I want you to think that through. I want you to come up to me and say, what do you mean by this? How do we, what, what does this all mean? And wh how do we accept? And how do we serve? And how do we love? Because I'm going to tell you right now, as the world changes and as it gets darker and darker, we're going to be more and more challenged to accept and serve and love. That's the reality. And are we going to be able to live, if we are proactive, we will know what to do when something happens. Because these are our values. This is who we are. A few days before Kennedy was killed, he went to NASA. It's a picture of him. You can see how excited he is at NASA. He decided to tour because we were in this big race for who was going to get to the moon first. And so he goes there and he's looking around and the scientists are trying to explain to him what all the knobs are and what everything is. And he's listening to lecture and he's, you can just see him. He's just, he's just bored to death. At one point, he says, can I just walk around? Can I just see the facilities? Just let me walk around. They say, sure, of course, you're the president. <laughs> of course you can. So he began to walk. Secret serviceman right behind him. You know, a few feet so that he felt like he was alone. And as, as he's walking through the halls, he spies on a janitor who's just sweeping, cleaning up. And John F. Kennedy goes up to him and says, hi. And the janitor looks up to you, oh, Mr. President, hi. And he says, what's your name? He says, I'm Joe, 
Joe, how are you? I'm the president. Yes, yes, I know. Well, what do you do here? Oh, he says, without missing a beat. I'm helping to put somebody on the moon. Did you notice that? He didn't say, he didn't say, I'm sweeping, I'm the janitor, I'm just nobody. No, I'm helping to put somebody on the moon. My hope is that every single person in this congregation will buy our why and what we do so much that we will have that same attitude. We're helping to put people in heaven. We're helping people across the threshold of heaven because we believe Jesus enriches their lives beyond their imagination. And we're going to do that by accepting them, serving them, and loving them like Jesus does. Are you with me? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for taking Nancy and I to this place and to have the privilege to work with such an awesome congregation, to meet new people and to work with them every day, Lord. We pray, Lord, as we move forward together under your direction, Lord, with your purpose and your mission in mind, that we would become an unstoppable force for you, Lord. Father, please help us to put away all the noise that we may hear your whisper. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.